Business Class, a podcast sponsored by the iBear MBA program of the USC Marshall School of Business. Expert insight into the world of business. Hello, I'm Dick Trobnik. I'm the director of the Mid-Career International MBA program at the University of Southern California's Marshall School of Business. Today on our Business Class podcast, we have the pleasure of interviewing a recent graduate of the IBEAR MBA program, Peter John van Hecke from Belgium. So PJ, from what you learned at USC and from what you've learned throughout your life in business and the combination of those two things, it's obvious that economic contractions, economic shocks happen. And they happen on an unpredictable basis. But looking back over the past 20 years in Thailand, ranging from the big floods of uh, seven or eight years ago that shut down the automobile industry and so many other things, to a coup, which is a really a minor disturbance in Thailand, to SARS, and which affects the tourism, and of course, the great financial crisis, which is a virus that came out of New York, um, mm-hmm. and, and now most recently, the, the virus coming out of China. Are there four or five lessons, if you were asked to be an instructor, that you would um, emphasize and re-emphasize to your business manager students who would be in the seminar? One of uh, the main lessons for me is uh, being humble. You cannot predict the future. So you have to hope for the best, but actually plan for the worst. So um, you have to make arrangements that your company can deal with a crisis. A crisis has many identities, but uh, it can have severe effects. So if your interest is to keep your company running, you have to make sure that there are resources available your company can use during that crisis. What for most companies in a crisis like this is necessary is something which I learned in strategy. You have to know this ideally in advance, but if you do not know it, you have to do it now, is to identify what is the core of your business, what is essential and what is non-essential. Since you're scrambling for resources uh, because your cash inflows are disrupted and you still have your fixed costs, you have to focus on your core and you have to be willing to abandon the non-core. So there you have to embrace the principle of sunken costs, which is something you learn in accounting. Um, An asset is something which has a future potential return, not a past uh, expense. So um, if you identify what is the core of your business and you know which assets will have a bigger chance of generating a future potential profit, then you have to focus on these ones. Normally, a business is managing for growth. On a lower level, a company is managing for profit. But what is absolute, which has always to be in place, is managing for liquidity. In the pursuit for growth, you sometimes have to forego profitability. If you go to college, you have to pay a lot of money, but you hope that you will have a future return or more options. So, of course, you're losing money at that time. However, liquidity is being able to pay your bills. If you forget this, if you don't have sufficient liquidity reserves, you will topple immediately. To people who don't have uh, a business background or a financial background, I explained the, the difference between profit 
and flexibility as follows. Profit is like breeding. Liquidity is like your blood circulation. You have to breed regularly, but you can hold your breath without any problem. However, liquidity, if your blood supply is disrupted, you pass out, you fall into a coma, and within 10 minutes, your brain is getting damaged. So liquidity is a, is a constraint which you cannot ignore. So this is the, something which you constantly have to monitor is your cash flow. You think your, your business is doing good, your business is growing, your business is making profit. However, profitable businesses, growing businesses can collapse, can go bankrupt because they don't have sufficient working capital. They cannot pay their bills. They have first their cash outlays, their cash flows out. Later, they have cash flows in. But in the meantime, they don't have a buffer to fill this up. So even it's a profitable company, but they don't have money, yeah, you're in trouble. So that's also an important lesson. Monitor your cash flows on a monthly basis. And in this crisis situation, you maybe have to monitor it on a weekly basis. So it's very simple to do. It's not complicated. You have an ex a spreadsheet. At the beginning of the month, you write down on your, all your cash accounts, how much money you have. On one side, you have all your expenses which you, some of them are fixed, some of them are variable. And on the other side, you have your income. Your income is, you do not know it in advance, so you estimate it, but you estimate it low. Your expenses, your variable expenses, you estimate high. So if you make a mistake, you have a buffer. And you plan this out six months, a year. The goal is not to have it perfect, but the goal is to have an ID. So then you can see where you will have cash shortages. Uh, that is specifically important when the company is growing because growing needs a lot of resources, but also in a financial situation where you, when you are lacking cash, like this economic crisis, it is very critical also to follow up your cash flow. So this is a, a second lesson I would uh, take out. And this is something I learned in valuation, but also in strategy. Yeah. And the measurement tool we use, of course, is accounting. Without measuring, you're just uh, going from your gut. Let me just follow up on some of uh, PJ's comments there. 17 years ago in Bangkok, I, I was in discussions with a friend of mine who is the founder, chairman, and CEO of Grammy, the big entertainment company, uh, Kun mm. Piper. Mm. And we were talking about business philosophy. And he says, Professor, we cannot control revenue. We can control cost. So we must control cost to maintain liquidity, to maintain cash flow. And if revenue is really good, higher than we expected, then we do better than we expected. But it's the cost factor we control. And, and he said this over, I can't remember, a cup of coffee or a glass of wine. And he said it so clearly and so succinctly, and listening to you, PJ, just reminded me of that conversation with uh, Kun Paibun along. By the way, Grammy is one of our clients. So um, uh, some of our publications, which are popular, they bought the rights from us, and they make a series, a television series of them. They already made two, and now they're a production of a third one. And this uh, uh, causes cross-sales into our publications, so this is a marketing thing. So uh, he's absolutely right. Uh, 
Uh, I started off this conversation with saying you focus on what can be understood and what can be controlled. And then a good example of what can be controlled is fixed costs. If you have high fixed costs, you can do that in a stable business. But in a value business, you cannot do that because you do not know how much your income will be one month, two months, three months from now. And if you high costs, yeah, you're taking a, a big risk. And honestly, and honestly speaking, I know a lot of business owners own a business to support their lifestyle. And what happens is that they create artificially high costs because they also do not want to pay taxes on their profit. We have been selling property in the past and the real estate agent told us this is going to happen and indeed it happened. People visit the property, they're very interested to buy, but they cannot get a loan from the bank. The problem is not the bank, the problem is themselves. They have throughout the years artificially inflated their costs to reduce their tax bill, but as a consequence to an outsider, the bank is an outsider, this company doesn't look that profitable at all, so they're unwilling to give them a loan. On top of that, since their company does not seem to be so profitable, they're also unable to sell it. So they're actually stuck with something. So this is something they created themselves, eh, the problem. So, but And I'm afraid that is most issues, if a person himself is the cause of the problem and he's unwilling to recognize that, the problem will not go away, it will persist. So, PJ, is, is the Thai government doing any kind of fiscal stimulus that will help uh, companies that are not liquid, uh, that are teetering on the edge? And if so, will that be implemented in a, a timely way so that it really will help them? The government is currently executing these plans. Uh, they're dropping helicopter money in the individual's pockets but they're also providing liquidity through the banks to companies. However, uh, this still requires a process, a screening from the banks. Uh, also, individuals have to provide information. So there is a delay and a lot of people are nervous. A lot of people are in trouble. Sadly, we have a lot of small companies, mom and pop shops, especially in the countryside. They have very small savings. So these people are really in difficulty. And it's essential for the economy to start up again and the government for now to fill up the gap in between. The employment figures will be high, but you don't have uh, social benefits here or very limited. So uh, it's, it's not a good but situation. The, well, the difference in, in this crisis than the great financial crisis out of, you know, started in New York in 2008-9 is that governments around the world recognize the importance of quickly putting in helicopter money to and, and massively, which in 2008 or 9, it, it wasn't as quick. And governments today, again, from the learnings of 2008-2009, recognize that the ability to prop up Thai Air and American Air and infrastructure companies is huge. And then it depends on how they do it. But at least this time in the States, it's not going to the shareholders, it's going to the employees, at least it seems to be. And that's a lesson learned from 11 years ago. I think it is almost impossible if you provide stimulus that you exclude one party. If you say the shareholders, the management, the board, who 
caused their, the company to be in trouble right now. They should not be rewarded. They should be exposed to the risk they're taking. Well, you cannot separate that from the employees. The, if you want to, to save the jobs of these employees, you have to allow that company to continue running. That means you have to provide money to that company and unavoidably you are shielding the management and the, the shareholders and the board from the effects of their wrong decisions. Let's get you to tell us a little bit about the, 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 the COVID conditions in Bangkok in terms of how the governor of the city or the national government is leading to social distancing and some kind of contracting of openness. The first response of the Thai government was not drastic because they were afraid, understandably, to affect their economy. A big chunk of the Thai economy comes from tourism, foreign tourism. Direct receipts make up about 12% of GDP. You add the indirect receipts, you come up to 20%. So one-fifth of the economy is based on uh, tourism. And if you close your borders, you say that people can no longer mingle, interact with each other, yeah, then in effect you, you shut down the tourism sector. So they tried to postpone that for as long as they could, but then eventually they had to yeah, take drastic measures. The situation currently, half of April, is that uh, there is a curfew in place in Bangkok, which starts at 10 o'clock in the evening until 4 o'clock in the morning. Schools have been closed already for more than a month. Public gatherings have been closed already also more than a month, and it will last for at least another two weeks. But I'm hopeful that it will open up eventually, because we, we are fortunate in Thailand about the weather conditions. Weather has an influence on virus spreading. Currently, the weather is favorable, uh, but still it depends on the evolution eh, of the virus, and this is not something we can control uh, because uh, resources are needed for medical care. Currently, they're running on a buffer. Food supplies also need to continue. Uh, I can name hundreds of examples. Uh, the maintenance guy to repair the, the sanitary system in an apartment block, he also must be able to find his spare parts. Um, so eventually the economy will have to be opened up. Uh, but okay, we will see what the consequences will be. PJ, tell us a little bit about how your year in the Iberry MBA program, both in the curricular idea activities and in the non-curricular activities and the networking with your colleagues from Japan, Korea, China, America, has helped reshape or shape some of your ideas for your new ventures in, in Bangkok. The business we're running here in Thailand is a publisher and its focus is on contemporary fiction. You can compare it to fast fashion, very short trends. The publications go on for two, three months and then they die out. We are lucky if we have a publication which keeps on selling for several years. One month ago, we decided already for ourselves, people who take the public transport, stay away as much as you can, only come to the office once a week. Because when you take the public transport, you're exposed more to other people than, of course, if you have your individual transport. Currently, we only join in the office once a week, but uh, people are still working from home. Uh, and what is needed is when we are now started to sell online directly to customers. So, of course, our people now 
have to uh, ship books. They have to pack them and they have to bring them to the shipper. So that is still ongoing. But one of the advances, one of the things I want to talk about is, uh, the, I, I see there are two problems for most companies. And this is the mindset, the culture in the company, which is related to flexibility, being agile, and uh, the financial uh, condition. Uh, the mindset, the culture of the company is, uh, our people now understand that this is an exceptional situation. So they do not only change from where they normally work and how they normally work, but also of scope of work is changed. So for example, our accountants, we have two accountants. Currently they're helping out the sales team because our normal sales channel, we have several sales channels, but one of our sales channel is through retail stores. All those retail stores are closed. So you're not generating an income. We had uh, an online sales channel where we directly sell to the customer, but we kept that on a low level because other people are better than us in doing that. But now, since uh, all the bookstores are closed uh, around the country and our customers still want to buy our goods, well, we have increased our online sales and our people are used to being flexible. So they have moved from what they are doing before, for example, accounting, now they're helping out in sales. That's including also the packing of the books. So this is one method which allows us to deal with this crisis, having a flexible mindset, both as an organization as, and as an individual. And this is one of the advantages of a small company compared to a large company. In a large company, economies of scale are created by allowing people to specialize in a certain function. The disadvantage is, of course, yeah, these people are um, less unwilling or less able or a combination of the two to switch to another scope of work. So that is the advantage small companies have with regard to large companies is you can adjust quickly, both by how it is organized and structured, but also on the individual level. How do we approach the things? Business class, expert insight into the world of business. The host, Dick Drobnik, producer, Pankaj Bhushan, director, Dan Griffin, web developer, Rick Pine, and I am Robin Garthwaite.